Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. So we're going to continue on today to continue to talk about the lineage, to talk about how God works through history. We're going to continue to look at the story that we found in looking at Abraham, Isaac, and we're going to continue today. We were talking about last week how important it is for us to realize that God works through history in so many ways that we never even knew, in ways that we're not even aware of, that all the things that had to happen throughout time for us to be sitting here today, it's a pretty phenomenal thing to think about. I also shared how I almost became an Australian at some point in my family's history. I know it doesn't work that way. But if anybody doesn't know what I'm talking about, you could go back and watch last week's message. But God is working through our lives, and God has a plan, and he has a purpose. And so we're going to look here at Genesis chapter 26, just in a little bit of a recap, starting in verse 17. It says, So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar, and he settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And it says here, and this is the verse that we looked at last week, which was so important. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. The enemy had come in to try to steal away, to try to stop and to cut off access from what God had promised to Abraham. And Isaac came back in. It says he redug the wells and he renamed, he gave back the names that God had given to Abraham to give to those places, the places of memorial to the goodness of God. And what I want us to be so aware of once again here today is that God has spoken promises over our lives. That God has given promises to each person in this room, each person watching online, that God has made a promise to you through the person of his son Jesus. And it doesn't matter what the enemy has done in your life to try to steal that away. To try to come against and to cut off access what God has done. Because when we speak the truth, when we go back to those places and we speak what God has spoken, when we partner together with his word, we step back into that place of the provision of God in our lives. But we have to be speaking the right things. Here's the other thing that I want us to see here today. Throughout our lives, God is always working, but very often he does so in unconventional ways, in ways that we wouldn't have expected, in ways that we wouldn't have thought about on our own ability and our own wisdom. God is always working and he's always doing things, but as we said on Wednesday night, very often it's going to mess with our sensibilities a little bit. It's going to look a little bit different than we would expect it to look. And when we look through this story and we look through the promise through Abraham and Isaac and eventually to Jacob and and to Joseph and going forward, we see that God is able to pull things together that we never would have expected or anticipated to serve his purpose. Last night I got home with my family. We had made a quick stop at, at Target And basically because my son had some gift cards from his birthday. And if you know anything about my son, he's a Lego guy. 
He loves Legos. And so we went to Target last night because he has so many Legos for himself that he wants to start buying Legos for other people now. It's pretty sweet, right? But of course, we, we bought the Legos and we got home and here's the thing. We couldn't wait till tomorrow. We had to start right then. And I'm thinking about today. I'm thinking about making sure that I'm well rested. He's like, no, we got to build the Legos tonight. So I said, okay, we could build the Legos tonight. Here's the thing about me though. I sat down with him to build the Legos and I just look at the picture and I start putting pieces together. My son is very methodical though. He says, dad, you got to look, there's the instructions here. Here's the manual. This piece at this time, this piece at this time. And I'm like, that's great, but you have to know something about me. That's not always the way that I roll. I like to look at the picture and then I like to go to work and start putting things together. Now, for some of you, you can relate with me. And for others, you started to twitch a little bit. Because things have to be done in the right way, in the right order, at the right time. And I would agree with that for the most part. But if I could today, I'm going to suggest something. I'm not going to fully endorse this statement here. But I think that God, at times, would endorse my way of doing things a little bit more. That God looks at the picture that he has... And then he works all things together for good. He works all things together according to his purpose, his plans, his wisdom, and his ability. But sometimes for us, that can feel a little bit messy, right? Sometimes for us, it just doesn't seem like the right things are going at the right times because we don't see the full picture. Now, I do want to read this verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33. It says, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. God is a God of order. God does have a specific way of doing things. And this verse is taken a little bit out of context for what we're talking about here. But I did want to acknowledge that truth. Here's the thing, though. God is a God not of confusion, but of peace. But he's never confused. And he's always looking at the big picture. And so even when it doesn't make sense to us, it still is making sense to God. That's good for us to remember here this morning, right? Especially when things are not going the way that we expected them to go. God is still looking at the great big picture. He still sees all of it. And so when he's bringing things together, we have the ability to step into a place of confidence for what he is doing. In trust that he knows what the picture is. He knows what he has called each one of us to walk into. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 27 says, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Once again, God does not mind taking things that we look at as wisdom. The wisdom of this world. And moving things around and creating the ability to walk into the purpose that he has for our lives. And if you don't agree with me here today quite yet, as we read this story in Genesis chapter 27, as we look through the Bible and we look at the life of David becoming king with all the circumstances in his life, if we look at the lives of Peter and Saul who would become Paul, We see that God is not looking for perfect people to accomplish what he has for us. 
but he's looking for those who would be obedient to trust in what he has said and what he is doing. So Genesis chapter 27 is what we're going to get to, but first we want to look and just revisit Genesis chapter 12. God spoke to Abraham. He said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your descendants great. I'm going to bless all of the nations of the world through who's going to come out of you. He comes to Isaac in Genesis chapter 26. He says something very similar. He says, I'm going to bless all the world through you. He establishes the covenant. He reestablishes the covenant in Isaac. And now we get here to the next generation. The next generation of Jacob and Esau. The twins. And if we go back just a couple of chapters into Genesis chapter 25, we see that from the very beginning when Rebecca is pregnant with these two twins, that it's not business as usual. That there is a conflict that is going on within her as Jacob and Esau are wrestling with each other. Even when Esau is born, Jacob comes and he's holding on to the heel of Esau on the way out. And God speaks to Rebekah and says, there are two nations that live within you. Two nations. And what's going to happen is that the younger is going to rule over the older. It's not going to be the typical way. You see, God was already changing the order of things. He was already painting a new picture for what this lineage would look like. You see, this lineage was one that was blessed by God. God spoke and said, this is who you're going to be. But when we read this story, story, we realize that it was not without its dysfunction. That this family was blessed by God, but it still had some dysfunction. Does that make anyone feel better here this morning? That we can be blessed by God. That he could speak his truth. That we could stand on. And yet at times there are going to be things that don't look just right that don't seem to make sense, there are going to be times where there are mistakes that are made. Yet God is still able to work through every circumstance and to bring his purpose through it. It's good. So we go into Genesis chapter 27, and we see the beginning of some of this dysfunction. If we're familiar with the story, Jacob's mom, Rebecca, comes to him kind of gives him some some insight into what's happening. Isaac had said to Esau, I'm getting towards the end of my life. I want to bless you. Go out, make my favorite meal, bring it back to me, and I'm going to give you the blessing. And so Rebecca goes to Jacob and she says, here's what we're going to do. You're going to go and you're going to go to your father and you're going to put on these furs and you're going to go before him and you're going to tell him you're Esau. You see, this wasn't just a, a small level of deception here. This wasn't just a little white lie that was told. He goes before Isaac and he says, I'm Esau, and he accepts the blessing that was meant for his older brother, at least in the way that things typically went. And so we pick up the story here in verses 35 through 37. Esau comes, he is starting to find out what happened. He comes to Isaac and Isaac says, your brother came deceitfully and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, behold, I have made him Lord over you 
and all his brothers I had given to him for servants. And with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? You see, throughout my life as I've read this story, I've always looked at it, perhaps because I'm an older brother, and I felt like that's not fair. That's not fair. Why did this happen the way that it did? And why didn't Isaac just look at Jacob and say, no, I take it back. That blessing that I spoke over you, I take it back. It didn't count. You deceived me and it doesn't work. He said to Esau, what can I do for you now? I've already given it to him. You see, what Isaac understood is when he spoke the words of blessing, in connection to what God had showed him to do, That when he spoke these things, he said, I've already made him Lord over you. I've already given him grain and wine and sustained him. These weren't things that were in Jacob's hand at that time, but Isaac had spoke them and he knew that when he spoke them, there was power in what he had said. The question I have today is how much more when God speaks something over our lives? How much more when God speaks a promise over our lives? How much more fundamentally true is the promise of God in our lives than the words of a man? And yet at times, we still find ourselves focusing in on the problems, focusing in on the shortcomings, focusing in on the failures, focusing on the circumstances above what God has said that he was going to do. You see, when God speaks a word, when he speaks something into existence, that word has the most power, the most authority, and the most truth far above anything else that could ever be spoken. But at times, when we are building our life, we are building it based off of a picture that is being influenced by the circumstances of life by the places that we have failed, by the places that we have fallen short, and the picture that we are building our life off of is based off of our own understanding instead of the truth of what God has set over us. You see, Isaac understood something. When God was speaking something, there was power in it. And what we have to understand is that when God speaks something over our life, that is the very thing that is meant to guide our every action, our every step, and our every thought. That that is the truth that we are meant to build our lives upon. So we continue to look back at this story, and we see that even in spite of it, even in spite of the deception even in spite of the failures, even in spite of what we talked about last week where Abraham lied about Sarah and Isaac lied about Rebekah. And now we have the deception and then we have the, the selling of a birthright for a bowl of soup. And we have all of these things that took place that God is still working in the midst of the circumstances, even when it didn't make sense to man. See, God's purpose still prevails. So we continue on the story in Genesis chapter 28. Verse 10, Jacob is now on his way because his brother's on the way back. His mom said, you better get out of here. And so she sends him on his way to go visit Uncle Laban. 
And on the way, he stops because he's tired and he lays down under a tree and it says he takes his rock and it's his pillow and he falls asleep and he has a vision and he sees what looks like a staircase ascending from heaven where there are angels coming up and down. God's in this place. Even in the midst of the dysfunction, even in the midst of what he has done, God is in this place where Jacob is and he speaks to him. And he says in verse 13, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you all your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you. And I will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Just as God had done with Abraham. Just as he had done with Isaac, he is now speaking to Jacob. He is speaking to him in the midst of this circumstance where he is running away from his brother. In this place that Jacob would call Bethel. It's a place that would be very significant for him in his future. He would return to this place. But even now, in this moment, in the midst of the dysfunction, God is speaking to him and saying, this is what I'm going to do in your life. You see, God was painting a new picture for Jacob. He said, your your perception may have been this up to this point, but this is who you're going to be. This is who I've been creating you to be. And there is a process that lies in front of you. There is going to be years where you're going to go through and you're going to have to learn and you're going to have to grow. But at the very beginning, God says, this is the picture I have for you. The question I have today is what is the picture that God has given to us? You see, we might be in the middle of the process. We might be in the middle of the journey that feels like we don't have the answers we're looking for. Where the circumstances seem so big. Where we start to forget what God has said. And we start to build our life based off the picture of our own instead of the picture that God has for each one of us. But God was speaking to Jacob. And he said, this is who you're going to be. It was Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But now, it's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who would go on to become Israel. See, God was shifting history. He was changing the order of things as only he can. And he was giving Jacob a picture of it. So we see that Jacob continues on this journey. He goes to meet Uncle Laban. He meets Rachel, the woman of his dreams. And he finds out what it's like to be on the other side of the deception. He finds out what it's like to be on the other side of making these deals and, and being the one who is the supplanter. He, he finds out what it's like. And so time after time after time, Laban says, I'm going to do this thing. And then he does another. You get to marry Rachel after seven years. Just kidding. First, you have to marry Leah. And then you got to work another seven years. And then another 13 years. And and finally, after more dysfunction, when we read the story, 
Jacob doesn't just have Leah and Rachel, but then there's two maidservants that are in the middle of this. And so then he's ending up with all of these sons, which is a great thing. God's blessing him. But let's be honest, it's still in the midst of dysfunction. It's still in the midst of of the way that we wouldn't subscribe to. Yet God is still working. And so he goes to Laban and says, listen, I've got all these kids now. I've got all this livestock. God has blessed me. It's time for me to go back to my homeland. And Laban said, well, I can't really let that happen. Because I know that I'm being blessed because you're here. So what can we do to make you stay? And this leads to one of the more interesting stories that we can find in the Bible. Because Jacob says, okay, you don't have to give me anything. But what we need to do is, I want you to allow me to to take care of your flocks. But I want to take the spotted and the speckled and the striped sheep. And I want to take them and so that when they they reproduce, what's going to come out is going to be be more striped and spotted, and speckled sheep, and so that will be my inheritance, and I'll stay here, and I'll work the land for you. And Laban said, that's a great idea. Let's do that. And then he promptly turns around and gives all of the spotted and the speckled and the striped sheep to his children. So Jacob, once again, is on the wrong end of this deal. But then we see this story. Genesis chapter 30, verses 37 through 39. There's no preface to this story. There's no place where God appears to Jacob and says, do this thing. There's no big revelation that we see. It just says that Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees, and he peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. He set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is the watering places, so where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred there, this is also, since they came to drink here, this is where they bred. And the flocks bred in front of the sticks so that the flocks that they brought forth were striped and speckled and spotted. You see, this doesn't really seem to make sense. You take some sticks and you cut some spots in them, you put them in front of the sheep that have no spots. And for some reason, when they look at them, when they reproduce, what comes out of them is striped and speckled and spotted sheep. And then Jacob, what he also did was he only took the strongest of the livestock and put them in front of the sticks so that only the strongest of the animals were reproducing. And so that all of Jacob's sheep then became the strongest. And it goes on to say in verse 43, thus the man, Jacob, increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. You see, the only thing that we could take out of this story is this. What we see affects what we reproduce. You see, as the flocks looked at the striped, the spotted, the speckled sticks, It was then what they reproduced was then striped and spotted and speckled. And maybe what Jacob understood was this principle that what we focus on determines the seed that is going to come out of our lives. The things that we focus on 
the things that we look at, the things that we meditate on, become the very things that are going to dictate what is going to come out of our lives. The things that we allow to consume us, the things that we allow to affect our thinking and our vision and our perspective are going to be the very things that are going to dictate what our actions are going to be and the things that are going to manifest in our lives. You see, if we spend too much time looking at the wrong things, then what are we going to get out of our lives? If we spend too much time looking at the things that bring us fear and anxiety, if we spend too much time looking at the circumstances and looking at the economy and inflation and a virus, if we spend too much time looking at the wrong information coming from the wrong places that is affecting our thinking and changing the way that we're looking at our lives and affecting the picture that God has given to each one of us, what is going to come out of our life is going to be a direct result of those things. See, the question that I have to ask here today is what are we looking at? What are we looking at as individuals, as families, as a church? What are we looking at? Because if we're not looking at the picture that God has for our lives, if we're not looking at what he is doing, then what we are building is out of our own understanding, out of our own strength, and out of our own ability. And the byproduct of that is never going to be the thing that is actually going to change and impact the world. It's also not going to be the thing that's going to change our lives. See, the question is, why haven't I seen the promises of God come into fruition in my life? Why are there certain areas where I feel like I, I just don't have the answers that I was looking for? Can I ask the question today? What were you looking at? In my life, when I look at the areas that perhaps I've struggled in, I have to ask the question, did I take the time to invite God's purpose and promise and truth into that situation? Or was I doing it based out of what I know to be true? You see, in these places, it's very likely that what we were doing is looking at a different reality. Not the reality of God, not based out of his word and what he has spoken, but based out of my own wisdom and understanding. Once again, the things that we look at are the things that are going to determine the seed that is going to come out of our lives. And I would venture to say here today that there are some places for each one of us that we need to see God come in and do something like only he can. I would venture to say there's some places in our life that we are not satisfied with, as we spoke about a couple weeks ago that we need to change the way that we're thinking and change the picture that we're looking at because we've allowed too many other circumstances and variables to dictate what we see. We need to know what God is speaking and what he has said. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. 
and he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Verse 10. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Why was it that Abraham was able to step out of the place of familiarity into the unknown and obey God? Why was it that Abraham was called the father of faith? Why is it that in the life of Abraham we see God working so mightily? It says here, it's because he wasn't looking at the present reality. But he was looking at something greater. He was identifying something in the future. He was looking at a city who had its foundations, not in this world and not in the understanding of what this world can offer, but in the truth of God. This is what we have the ability to do as believers, to seek and to know what God is saying, what he is doing, and what he has promised to us. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Say that if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are of earth. See, there was a a poet in the 1700s named William Blake. And he said this statement in one of his poems, and maybe we're familiar with it. It simply says this. We become what we behold. We become what we behold. Once again, what are we looking at? What are we beholding in our lives? Because as we look, as we seek, as we see our thoughts, our mindsets, and our actions are being affected by these very things. Can I tell you a quick story here today? That doesn't sound like a lot of agreement. <laughs> Probably about 15 years ago, maybe even more at this point, I went out on a, on a snowboarding trip with one of my friends in Colorado. And we were out on the mountain and uh, we were coming up to this, it was actually a group of friends, and we came up to the top of this hill on the mountain, and I saw this jump in the distance. And being young and, you know, having no fear, I decided I'm going to go do that jump. This is going to be fun. I'm going to show off. I'm going to show my friends how great I am at all of this. And so I went down and I, and I hit this jump and not looking at it ahead of time. And all of a sudden I realized that I was much higher in the air than I had anticipated being. And all I knew was that the ground was coming at me a lot faster than I was expecting. Even though, for some reason, it felt like it was taking forever. It was this weird combination of events. The problem is, is that as I was in the air, I also realized that I was facing the complete wrong direction. The complete wrong direction would be backwards. But this was the second worst. Because I was facing this way. And who knows, if you're really high up in the air, you don't want to land this way. Because all you're going to do is this. And so... I'm going through the air, trying to turn my body, trying to do everything I can to no avail. I crash, the snow goes flying, and I get up real quick, even though my tailbone hurts worse than I ever knew was possible. 
And by the time my friends get down there, I pretended I landed it and it was all good. But can I tell you what I learned a couple years later in snowboarding with some friends of mine? They said, when you go up and you're in the air and you're doing a trick, it doesn't matter how much you turn your body. Because unless you turn your head and your eyes, nothing's going to happen. But if you turn your eyes and you change your focus, your body is going to follow. You see, in our lives, Sometimes we're doing everything we can desperately in the midst of a situation to change what's going on. And what we have to do is to change what we're looking at. We have to adjust what we're looking at. We have to adjust our focus to find God in the midst of that situation, to stand on his promises, to stand on his word, to stand on what he has said. Because in the midst of those times, in those moments in life where fear is right there knocking on the door or it's already come in, we have to know where we are called to go and where we are called to find our peace and our hope and our trust. We have to know what we're looking at. We have to know that our eyes are being put on the right thing at the right place. Because otherwise what happens so often is we get stuck. We get stuck in the past. We get stuck in the way that things have always been. We get stuck going through the motions, hoping for a different reality, hoping for different results, and yet we're still here trying to find our way and to fight our way out of it. We become what we behold. Our lives are shaped by the picture that we have allowed to be painted in our lives for what we expect our life to become and look at? What are the other things that we've allowed in our life to start to paint that picture? What are the words that have been spoken by other people that we have allowed to come in and to start to change what we see as a reality in our lives? I know I'm not the only one who remembers what someone said to me in second grade. I know I'm not the only one who remembers words that were spoken to me that were hurtful, that when I was growing up, that shaped the way that I saw myself. But did we ever go back and address those things? Or do those things still exist? Are there alterations that have still been made to the picture that God has painted and spoken over our lives? Because if there are, it's time that we go back and we look at those things. We look at those lies that we've believed, we look at the agreements that we've made, and we look at the expectations that we have based off of what life has shown us instead of what God has shown us. Whose word are we going to believe? Whose truth are we going to believe? And what are we going to choose to look at? See, the things that we focus on are the things that grow in our lives. The things that we allow ourselves to meditate on are the things that dictate our thoughts. There's a a neurobiologist called Caroline Leaf, and she said this, as we think, we change the physical nature of our brain. As we consciously direct our thinking, we can wire out toxic patterns of thinking and replace them with healthy thoughts. But what she's talking about here is an intentional decision. 
to identify what we've been thinking, what we've been looking at, and to allow God to come into those places and to change them, to correct them, and to bring our eyes into looking at the proper thing and the proper perspective. I want to ask if the worship team would come up here this morning. You see, I just want to make sure that I'm clear here today. I'm not talking about laws of attraction. I'm not talking about any new age beliefs where we're speaking things into the universe and and thinking good thoughts and happy thoughts and everything's going to go the right way. I've known some people, and maybe you have too, that have tried these things and have been ultimately disappointed every time because it's still out of our own ability. It's still out of our own, at our own desire to have control in our lives. What I'm talking about is finding the picture that God has for us. Taking the time to listen to his voice. Taking the time to hear him speak into our hearts. To go back to maybe the prophetic words that we've received in our lives. Going back to the words that he has spoken over our church and allowing those to be the things that paint the picture that we are looking at that then dictate our actions and our beliefs, our relationships. Will we allow God to speak into our hearts? Will we allow him to address some core beliefs that we have about ourselves? You see, there's some things maybe even that we have adopted as part of our personality, as part of our identity of, of who we think we are. And there are things that maybe we would protect at all costs because we just think that's, that's part of our identity. Are we willing to allow the Holy Spirit to come into those places to start to show us the picture that he has of us and to speak the truth that only he can? This morning, Father God, I just thank you for every person here. I thank you for every individual here or watching online. I thank you, Lord God, that before you formed us in the womb, you knew us. That you had a picture of us that was in your heart before the beginning of time. And Lord Jesus, I ask this morning that for any of us here that have believed any kind of lie, that we have allowed our identity to be shaped by our circumstances and on our failures, instead of being shaped by who you are, instead of being shaped by your word, instead of being shaped by the God who is our Father who loves us unconditionally, that in those very places that we would grab a hold of your truth, Lord God. We would grab a hold of what you have spoken and that in the midst of every circumstance our eyes would be focused on you. And that we would grab a hold to your truth of what you're saying right now in this time. In Jesus' name we pray.